0: Welcome back to another episode of Ranching Reboot, your go-to podcast for fresh perspectives on regenerative agriculture, sustainable food systems, and the people who are shaking things up. In today's episodes, we're taking you on an eye-opening journey into the world of mobile slaughterhouses. Our special guest, Tiffany Baxter, has turned the meat processing industry on its head with her innovative custom-built mobile slaughter trailer. Discover the ins and outs of Tiffany's operations as we delve into the various aging methods for beef, the challenges of processing deer, and the importance of supporting local butchers. Plus, you'll learn about the need for more skilled professionals in the industry and how you can get started in the rewarding world of butchery. So sit back, relax, and get ready to reboot your thinking about meat processing as we embark on this groundbreaking exploration with Tiffany Baxter. This episode is brought to you by C90 Ocean Minerals, the first step in regenerative agriculture. C90 offers a complete spectrum of natural minerals and trace elements that feed soil biology, enzymes, and fungi to help regenerate your soil matrix and improve soil fertility. Herd and pasture health starts with soil health, and C90 restores the optimal mineral balance needed for healthy, productive soil. Naturally unlock locked-up fertilizer nutrients, expand root networks, and reduce drought risk, and invest equally in this season and the ones to come. Give us a call today, and our experts will help develop a complimentary custom program that fits your operation. Call 717-580-1458 or visit www.sea-90.com. Available nationwide and around the world. Yo, what's good, my homies? It's your boy, Red Hills, and I'm here to tell you about these Bubble Link Beef Snacks. Let me tell you, they straight-fire, you dig? I'm talking about real high-quality beef, seasoned perfection, and slow-cooked to give you that melt-in-your-mouth taste. And let's not forget about the packaging. It's tight, it's fresh, and it's perfect for on-the-go snacking. Now, I know what y'all might be thinking. Red... Ain't no beef snack going to be good enough for me, but trust me, these Bobo Link beef snacks are straight up game changers. I'm talking about that real beef flavor packed with protein and made with all natural ingredients. So if you want to elevate your snack game, snack like a boss, then you got to try these Bobo Link beef snacks. I'm telling you, they're the real deal. And don't take my word for it. Try them out yourself and you'll see why I'm hooked. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Peace out and stay snacking my homies. My name is Red Hills Rancher and I'm the steward of the Red Hills. And if you didn't know, you do now. Bow wow. Hey Ranching Reboot fans, are you passionate about regenerative agriculture and want to support our podcast? Join our Patreon community today and get exclusive access to bonus content, merch rewards, and more. Your support will help us continue to bring you fresh stories from new faces in agriculture, as well as the tales of industry veterans who are fighting against what's wrong with our food system. Plus, you'll be joining a community of like-minded fans who love ranching farming and regenerative agriculture just as much as you do. Also, be sure to join our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans, discuss current events, and past podcast episodes. Our Discord community is the perfect place to share your thoughts and ideas, get feedback on your ranching projects, and learn from other experts in the field. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to connect with fellow ranchers and support our podcast at the same time. Join our Patreon community and Discord server today, and let's reboot your thinking about farming, ranching, food systems, and the people that operate them. Hear that? Well, Tiffany Baxter, otherwise known as Backyard Butchery, welcome to Ranching Reboot. It's uh it's great to see you, and I think those I like those pink glasses. So, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Um, could use be a little bit more warmer, a little bit more moisture, but uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of sick of talking about how dry it is, so I'm just not going to mention that today.
1: <laughs> I understand.
0: So, Tiffany. Um I started watching your TikToks and you have a mobile slaughter trailer, is that right?
1: It's that is correct. I can kill cut and wrap beef, pork, lamb and goat on the trailer.
0: Beef, pork and lamb and goat. And goat. And goat all in it. <laughs> okay. So um I mean how did you get into this? How, how did you how does a young lady decide that they want to go around to farms and cut meat?
1: Um <laughs> I feel like that's everybody's question. Um, I, I think it really came out of necessity in the beginning, you know, a little bit of spite, um, to be completely honest, you know. Uh, but really I have a passion for for raising and growing my own food. And and the end goal, of course, is just to share that with other people and give them the opportunity um, you know, to maybe raise their own food. People that didn't think they could maybe give those people an opportunity to try to start raising their own food. Um, I also teach classes on how to butcher as well. So we're just trying to get um, kind of back to the basics, if you will. Um, but most of my customers are really just happy to know that they get their meat back and get all of their meat back. <laughs> um, it's a fairly transparent process since we don't leave the property with your animal ever.
0: Right. You know, it- my friend, Mike Calicrate, do you know, Mike? I don't. Well, uh, just kind of the broad strokes. He's been on the podcast, I think like five times. He was just on a couple of weeks ago. And so anyway, Mike is up in Northwest Kansas and he had a feedlot, got shut out by the big Packers. So he decided he was going to have his own processing facility. And gosh, I can't remember when it was, but uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago he took one of the old IBP carcass trailers and turned that into a mobile slaughter unit, like, you know, a full 53 foot unit. Um, awesome. But he's, he's kind of gotten away from that. And I think it was, you know, more due to scale. Um, I, I'm just curious, like how, how did you figure out how to build the trailer? Did you buy it or, or, or how did that work?
1: Um, I actually spent, um, I mean, I was in restaurants prior To COVID happening. So when COVID hit, it gave me some free time. Um, And this is an idea I had probably five, six years ago. Um, It originally stemmed from doing a mobile poultry slaughter unit, but then kind of grew into the larger animals, obviously. Um, And I had the time to sit and and to study other mobile slaughter trailers. Um, There are several of slaughter slaughter trailers in the country, just not a lot of. Uh, butcher trailers doing you know the packaging and the cutting Um, so from there it's just looking at okay what do I need you know in a regular butcher shop we need you know vacuum sealers and grinders so I just sat down and sketched it out Um, I hired an engineer to give me a good CAD design on that (laughs) and then from there it was just a team effort between myself and a couple of friends friends of friends um, getting everything welded and fitted in there and it's really honestly been trial by error since you know we're just trying things and if it doesn't work we're adjusting as we go and um, so far it's working pretty well I I don't have a ton of complaints I would like to upgrade a bunch of equipment it's just a matter of you know money Um, stuff's expensive
0: unfortunately and it doesn't seem like it's very easy to get anymore either
1: No. And then I have to take in consideration that I'm running off of a generator. So electricity, you know, is limited. A lot of that equipment's three phase. Um, and then also taking into account that we're driving down the road. So stuff is going to be rattling, um, which has also caused a lot of issues, um, especially with like my bandsaw and and stuff. So I've kind of had to overcome a lot of, um, just small inconveniences and, and some big ones, of course, but mostly small ones along the way, just trial and error. There's Really, as far as I've seen, there's nothing like this anywhere.
0: No, there really isn't. (laughs) How how long is this trailer? Just so we like, and I guess describe the trailer for the people out there in podcasting. Like, what size of trailer are we talking about here?
1: So, it's a 36 foot uh, gooseneck trailer attached to obviously. I've got a dually truck, so nose to tail, I think is 52 um, feet is the full rig. Um, You know, off the side, we've got a winch on both sides of the back end of this enclosed utility or cargo trailer it's fully aluminum i've got it insulated with ac and heat got a couple units of that um and then from there it's just a rail that runs down the center um it has a 10,000 pound capacity so if i ever did haul back to a shop i can do that um and then of course we just got all the basic stuff i got a cut table and we've got um you know, a grinder, vacuum sealer, everything like that. And then, I mean, the bandsaw is in there as well. But other than that, it's it just literally looks like a mobile butcher shop. And on the end, we've got, you know, our cranes to hang off of. And, um, you know, I have a power washer there. We just power wash everything out before we leave and sanitize at home. Pretty, pretty wild process.
0: Very cool. I, And I'm, I'm trying to picture you know, 32 foot trailer and hanging a cow inside one of those, I imagine it's uh, you're pretty much using the whole thing from roof to floor.
1: Um, so the, the, the height of the trailer is only seven foot and then it drops obviously for the rail. So I have to quarter it to get it into the trailer. We can't, uh, I wouldn't be able to hang halves. I have to hang quarters.
0: Okay. So like you pull up and you set up like some panels around the back is it then, then you bring it,
1: um, I have one single piece that slides into that rail and it sticks out the back. And then I quarter from the, I have two different winches. Uh, there's actually a really cool picture of me doing it, but I basically transfer using the second winch and pull that up onto the, the piece that extends out. It slides down the rail. And then I go for the second piece. Um, so I quarter off those rib sections first and then bring the leg, the back section in last on a cow.
0: I guess what I'm asking is what is it? What does your setup look like when you pull into somebody's farmer ranch? to, to oh,
1: process it, it all tucks in. It all tucks in. It just looks like a truck and trailer. You would not know otherwise <laughs> until I open it up. It all tucks in like little transformer trailer.
0: Right. I, I get that. So you carry everything like kill box, couple panels to you know connect to their corral system or whatever so they can get them I don't
1: even bring panels i don't even bring panels um most of the time we can either walk the animal up or i can back up to their pin and then we'll just go from there um worst case scenario we'll drop and drag
0: okay so then and then you use your two winches and that are on the back of the trailer you pull them up and then you quarter them and then swing it over to the center rail and run them into your trailer
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: Okay. Okay. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I'm just trying to think of what's what questions to ask to make myself sound smart because I don't know anything about me processing.
1: <laughs> well, you know, come to Oklahoma, get you something, and I'll, I'll process it for you.
0: I'm I'm only 20 miles on the wrong side of the state line. I'm only 20 miles up into Kansas.
1: You got to know somebody 20 miles closer.
0: Oh, I know plenty of guys in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. They most of them listen to this podcast. Uh, so you are in Oklahoma. Yes. I, I guess we missed that about five minutes ago. Um, That's so. Let's talk about inspection. I' gonna. I know I ha- I haven't seen you say that you're USDA inspected, and I imagine that getting a USDA inspector to like go on the road with you is probably probably not going to happen. Uh, so are you state inspected?
1: Custom exempt. <clears throat> so, I mean, someone from the state has come inspected me, but to be a state inspected technically would mean kind of the same as as USDA As I would have a state inspector with me. Um, I could go USDA or state inspected if I built a bathroom and an office on my trailer for them. <laughs> um, that's essentially what's holding me back, but also, you know, The other reason I don't want to go that far is because I specialize in emergencies. So injured cattle, um, they have to walk across the kill floor and other butcher shops. I'm the only one that will come to you. Um, And I'm afraid if we went USDA or state inspected, then then that would really, um, you know, I think that would change. I think they would not allow that obviously they're not going to inspect something that's injured. They're going to go ahead and just say no. Um, and I do help a lot of people in that situation. We had one just two days ago. Um, and if you're a cattle farmer, you know, if you're a rancher, you have one go down, if you can get something, salvage something out of that, then, you know, I'm happy to oblige. I want to help people as much as I can. That is a crap situation to be in. And um, if we go inspected, I know that that part's going to go away for people. And until there's at least other people doing this available to them, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay where I'm at. And honestly, I kind of I think the less government involvement is is better for me in the end.
0: I less government is usually better for everybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I yes yes. So I'm going to stay where I'm at. I know a lot of shops did go USCA this last year because of all the grants that were out for COVID. So there are, I mean, we have tons of those options for other people. Um, if they're wanting to sell piece by piece or out of state lines, then they've got a million other options besides me.
0: Okay. So just being a custom exempt, are there any creative, creative labels that you can help out with customers so they can maybe sell some of that meat? Or is that just under the the normal custom exempt rules?
1: custom exempt you can still sell shares so you can still sell quarters halves holes um and there's actually no legal you know number of people on that share so like if you had a pig you wanted to sell completely sausage um if you can guesstimate you know 100 shares out of that let's say you're going to get 100 pounds of sausage you could sell 100 shares of that pig um as life as a live animal. So as long as it's sold prior to the kill and um, preferably money has been exchanged, the state isn't as um, strict about that as Texas is or some other, I don't know how Kansas is, but here in Oklahoma, they're a little less um, picky about that, but technically sold as a live animal is the law. Um, But again, like I said, there's no number of people that are limited on the shares. So that's how you can get creative.
0: And there's probably some other creative dodges around that, like, you know, not even selling and sharing an individual animal, but shelling, selling, you know, future beef shares or percentages of herd that you can redeem for beef.
1: Right, right. As long as it's sold as a live animal, I think that you'll be fine. You can get away with it. Um, just really the big things being not being sold across state lines or going to restaurants, grocery stores. I think that's really what they're most concerned about.
0: I, I would kind of agree with that. I mean, I kind of feel like we can get away with a lot of stuff until we try to get into a grocery store or a restaurant.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. As long as you know who you're dealing with, you'll be fine.
0: We're doing stuff like advertising nationally. That'd be pretty dumb.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't do that
0: so you don't you don't have any chill space so after you process everything and package it it's warm and then the customer has to have freezer space to be able to to be able to chill that meat down correct
1: yeah or they could put it in their refrigerator and wet age it from there Um, a lot of my customers use what's called an ink bird where they can trip um, their freezers into running a little hotter so you know that that happy space to age is from 34 to 40. So, um, there's also a convertible fridge and freezer that'll do that for you, which I highly recommend. Um, but the USDA standard is that you get that animal down, cooled down in 24 hours. So a lot of people don't know that you actually have a 24 hour window, um, to get that animal cooled down. But I mean, I'm usually out of there in a pretty quick amount of time. You know, I think the other day on we did, I did one and it was by myself. I got there about 10. I was out of there by four. So, you know, it's, it's going in their fridges a lot quicker than you think. And I, I don't think I've ever, there's, there's never going to be a day that I, I miss that 24 hour mark. I mean, one way or another, we're going to get it in there.
0: Can you talk a little bit about aging and 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 maybe give us some education about the different kinds of aging, wet aging, dry aging, and what the difference is and and what that does for the meat?
1: Yeah, so there's um, kind of three categories because here in Oklahoma, nobody actually dry ages beef. I think there's a big miscommunication. Uh, I think a lot of people think that what they're getting from their local butcher shop here. And like again, I all I can speak for is Oklahoma. I don't know how it is there in Kansas, but um, I think a lot of people think that they're getting their age their aged beef as dry aged beef. In fact, most shops here it's just a walk in cooler. So I always reference that as hung beef. It's just being hung um, in regular refrigeration. Um, technically, dry aged beef is kind of like making cheese or making like a mold. You're you're really manipulating your um, humidity and your, your airflow and things like that. And what it's doing is it's, it's essentially, it's just drying up your beef. It's exactly what it sounds like. It gives you a more concentrated kind of beefy flavor. Um, Hung beef is really just allowing that meat to age properly. So, uh, but it's not adding anything, anything to the flavor. It's just allowing those enzymes to break down and tenderize the meat. And that's going to happen in every one of these options because, the word aging is really just a nice way of saying rotting. Um, We, we put it in such, you know, just like anything in this industry, we want to make it sound pretty, even though that's really what's happening.
0: You know, when an animal
1: dies, it goes stiff and you don't want to put a stiff animal in your freezer. That's the most basic way for me to explain it. You want to go ahead and let those, those muscles relax back down so that you're not eating a tough animal. Now that Um, the third option is wet aging. And that's what I do. Most or most of my customers will do because they get their animal back in vacuum sealed packages. Um, wet aging does add a bit to the flavor. You don't lose the weight like you would in dry aging. Um, so you retain some more of your weight, which is more important if you're selling your meat by the pound. Um, of course you'd need to adjust that for dry aging, but then the wet aging, it goes a little faster because it's already broken down into cuts as well. So I feel like um, you can get a lot further with wet aging. Um, I personally like like all three options. You know, I can't say I like dry aged beef in certain cases. I like wet aged beef more in other cases. Um, you know, originally when I built my trailer, I thought that I was going to build a dry aged facility because nobody else has one. And I thought, well, how cool would that be? Um, but over the last, I mean, I guess it's been almost a year since I've been open over the last, almost a year, I'm noticing most people really don't have the fat coverage. Um, you know, especially with grass fed beef, we know you're not going to have the coverage that you're going to need, um, to keep that beef, you know, moist during that process. You're just going to end up with really crappy beef jerky. Um, so I don't think that dry aging is really the best um, for everyone, everyone wants dry-aged beef, but not everyone's beef would work well in dry-aged um, facilities. So, you know, like I said, there's a couple ways to accomplish it. People are really loving um, those convertible fridges and freezers, freezers, because you're able to put it in there for 34 to 40 degrees for about two weeks, and then just crank it into a cranking down into the freeze mode, and and you're done. Um, you know, of course, aging is just like any other animal. Um, the younger animals are more tender. Of course, your, your steers are going to be more tender, um, are going to require less aging. But then when you get into like your old bulls, any bull really, which again, they're going to be super lean as well. So you're not looking, can't look forward to a lot of fat on them either. Um, but really your older animals and your bulls are going to be, um, the ones that need more of that aging than, than your younger animals and your females.
0: And those would work better on a wet age process.
1: I wouldn't say they work better, but they definitely, it works well. It works really well.
0: Yeah. Cause you know, that that's kind of what I have, you know, all, all grass fed quote pasture finished. Um, right. So tell me some more about, uh, so we're doing small ruminants, pigs and cows. Tell me about like some of the services you offer in your trailer.
1: Like, like what exactly? Um, Give me a, an idea what you mean by that.
0: <laughs> well, I guess you could, you know, you can break down a cow into pretty much any retail cut, right? Not, not just subprimals. You can do grind. Are are you doing sausage and cutting bacon?
1: Sausage? Yes. So the one thing, well, really two things, I guess, um, curing is the thing that I'm working on right now. We, obviously since I'm in and out in the same day, Curing bacon and hams is the one thing I'm really not able to do. Um, So I'm actually working with a butcher in Texas who is making his own line of sausages. And he um, is working on some what we're going to call like a ready cure. And I don't know if this is something I'm going to sell to the customer separately that they can just apply. And with directions, you know, kind of follow those instructions for the curing of the bacon um, or the ham. Or if this is something I'm going to apply to it before we vacuum seal it. I don't know about that yet, but, um, that's what we're working on right now, because I know a lot of my pork customers are intimidated by that process and they'll just tell me just make it into sausage and said, we do do that. I do offer five different flavors of sausage. Um, I do tenderize stuff. I mean, there's just, as far as beef goes, there's really nothing I can't offer. Um, lamb and goat same. It's just really on the pork on that curing of bacons and hams that I'm not able um, to do a lot. And obviously I don't do you know, sausage links or anything like that either. A lot of the added value products are what we're losing by being mobile same day. Um, I'm just kind of working on, I think now that we're a little further into it, now I can start focusing on some of those little finer details. Um, I've just been for the last year, just trying to get efficient really just trying to get all the equipment to work the way it's supposed to work. And now we can work on, okay, now let's, let's polish things up and make prettier packages for people.
0: I imagine you almost need another 20 or 30 foot trailer for all the value add stuff.
1: You know, almost, I think if I ever did like deer, that that's essentially what that would be um, for making jerky and making sausages. Um, That might be my next step. We'll see. I'll let you know.
0: If you do sheep and goats, how come you don't do deer? It's just seasonality and not interested in it.
1: Um, so I wouldn't go mobile for deer. Um, I would probably there's no legal in like no there's zero legal oversight on wild game. So you can literally do whatever you want. Um, that's the freedom with wild game. My issue with wild game, if I'm gonna be really if we're gonna get into it, it's it's deer hunters. <laughs> Deer hunters are my problem with wild game. Um, you know, I, they, they, they don't like venison, but then they use way too big of a caliber and they blow out the entire shoulder and then they're upset they don't get their meat back, but they don't really like venison because it ran a hundred yards all stressed out from a lung shot, you know, and then it never got bled or or gutted right away. It got thrown in the back of a pickup for 30 miles, 40 miles before then they maybe gutted it properly probably didn't bleed it at that point um now you've got clogged up blood vessels all throughout the meat and sounds and, like yeah. You're a nurse. right yeah, yeah yeah um yeah and then you know most of the shops that are processing deer there's again because there's no legal oversight they're just getting stacked in coolers with the hides on which is where all the bacteria is um yeah i i just i like to know when something's killed. Um, that helps me in the butcher process. I like to know how it was killed. So if I get into deer processing, it's, it's going to be a mental thing for me. I'm gonna have to get over all the BS, but, um, if I did, I would just be stationary just because of all those added value products. They're going to take more than a day for one, for one, it's going to take more than a day, but also, um, I wouldn't, it would be a quantity game at that point. We would need to bring in a ton of deer, which really isn't an issue in Oklahoma. We have, I mean, the few deer places that are available here are stacked through the entire season and they just run nonstop. And I already do that. So I don't need to bring in more work for myself. Um, but whenever I, I get bored with what I'm doing, I probably will I'll be honest.
0: How much trouble did you have getting busy in the first six months?
1: Uh, No problem. Really? Not an issue. No. Um, I actually had a waiting list for almost a year before I got open. Oh, wow. Yeah. COVID kind of changed the processing game a bit. I know the local shops here at one point were all booked like two years in advance. And then there was, um, one of our shops got bought out by a single rancher in Texas just because he needed somewhere to take all his cattle. Um, you know, and then you saw the grants get, get taken out and a lot of new shops opened up a lot of old shops shut down. It's been really interesting to watch, um, but especially in like the hog game there's not a lot of hog butchers out here and there's not a lot of people processing those anymore and uh, longhorns a lot of our local local processors quit quit doing longhorns just because of the trouble they make in the pins prior but um
0: yeah my processor said uh, said don't bring us the big big horn ones because we're going to charge <laughs> you a bunch extra if if they right. don't go much past the ears we're okay
1: right yeah, they're not going to fit into a squeeze chute that great.
0: I've, I've got a few that I don't even send down the alley to even look at a chute because my alley's too narrow and it's too tall. And, you know, I, you can't send a cow with six foot wide horns down a three foot alley. Like she's no. going to beat him and bang him the whole way down. She's going to get stressed, get mad and hurt herself. And there's just no point in that.
1: No, I agree. I agree completely. Um, but being mobile, I'm able to cover the whole state as well. So there's certain parts of the state where there's really nobody close by, um, you know, and those people, they, they love it. When I show up, they'll book a whole week of appointments and, um, I'll just drop the trailer and come back the next day. And we'll, we'll do all set, you know, we'll do a whole week of workout in Comanche, Oklahoma, or, um, i've been I've been a mile from the Texas border, actually oklahoma i I need to do a map and just pin all the places I've been because I think I've everywhere but really the panhandle i've 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 been butchering
0: i I was gonna kind of ask do you actually get out all the way in the panhandle i mean i I'm not from Oklahoma, but it seems like the panhandle the rest of Oklahoma doesn't necessarily consider the panhandle part of the state. <laughs>
1: It's like the armpit of Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. It should have been Texas, but it wasn't, you know, there was there's some slave history there. Um, but yeah, I haven't had anybody pay me to go out there. I mean, I charge two dollars a mile, so people are gonna be paying for that mileage and and they may look at that and go, that's not worth her trip for that's not, you know, something that I'm willing to pay. And two dollars a mile is actually pretty cheap, to be honest. Like, the wear and tear on my stuff is worth way more than that. But I'm trying to keep affordable so that people will try me out.
0: I mean, two bucks a mile to move, uh, move a 32-footer and a dually?
1: 36. It's 36. Yeah.
0: I guess I didn't. I mean, know.
1: it's aluminum. It's lightweight. I think the whole thing all together is 19,000 pounds.
0: You're still getting eight, 10 miles a gallon.
1: Uh, Yeah, well... Um, since I deleted my def, which I shouldn't have said that probably publicly, <laughs> but I get like 12 miles to the gallon. Now it's, I'm a, I'm big time now. It's very cool.
0: I traded off, uh, my missions pickup, my missions equip pickup like three years ago and bought one, two year, three years older that doesn't have it. So i I'm, I'm driving around on a good old five, nine coming. So I don't have emissions. period. <laughs> Never had to worry about it.
1: Yeah, this is my first vehicle with it, um, and it left me stranded three hours from home when a sensor went out and says, you know, you don't have def. I had it was spilling out, but it works just like gas. You know, if you run out of fuel, it'll put you in limp mode. So there I was pulling the trailer in limp mode to a customer's house. That's, so that's- I just got rid of it.
0: That's probably less than ideal. I mean, it it is a big reliability thing. And I have a hard time seeing how all those plastic jugs and cardboard containers are not polluting. Because you can't reuse the plastic jug. No. It won't get recycled. Right. The the little bit of emissions is worth that plastic jug in the environment.
1: Plus the extra fuel you're using. Yes. Yeah, when I can I can personally attest that I've come up like 4 miles per gallon and of course it's a diesel truck. So that adds up. Oh yeah. In my opinion, you know, what's worse, the the fluid, um the containers, the mileage, I don't know what's worse. But having my truck uh, choke on its own exhaust <laughs> doesn't feel like the answer to our problems environmentally. <laughs>
0: having a $75,000 truck that's shut down because of a $40 sensor that doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then being told by every mechanic that it'll just do it again. Like we can fix this, but you've got 12 more sensors that are going to do the same thing. Yep. It's like, oh, okay, well that's an easy decision to make.
0: (laughs) I'm sure all that stuff works great in the, you know, the automotive engineers test lab and on their test cycles, but out here in the real world, especially in, you know, on the planes where it's dusty and hot and nothing is smooth or flat.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Where's exactly. Things out Exactly. So how many, how many critters can you process in a day?
1: So it just depends on the size of the critter. Um, you know, I've done like five larger hogs in one day, start to finish. Um, I've done three head of cattle in a day. I prefer not to, you know, I I really prefer to keep it to like two at the max. If they're small, if they're big, I just do one cow a day. Um, and that also gives me leeway, you know, in case something goes wrong in the process, like I have any kind of equipment issues. Um, But, you know, I have a lot of customers that have a variety of animals. I've shown up and done a cow, two pigs and a goat in one day. And, you know, we filled their freezer with multi-species animals now, you know, in between there. um, I I really just want to stick to one farm per day, though. That's really the main thing. I don't want to be going from uh, one farm spraying out all the way and then going back to, you know, going somewhere else and then doing it again. So I keep it to one farm per day even if it's like one lamb, which is very rare anyway. Um, But if I keep to one farm per day, that that's my main thing. And we just go from, you know, go by weights from there.
0: Is that like a contamination thing?
1: Yeah. Um, I want biosecurity really. Um, And, and really just, it's a pain in the ass, you know, well, after I spend an hour, sometimes longer cleaning the trailer, I'm ready to go home now. So (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. And we're just going to go to the next place. And the idea of doing two farms per day sucks because if I, you know, someone thinks that their animal might weigh 400 pounds and then I get there and it's 800, that happens a lot. So scheduling, I can't really base it on what people think their animal weighs because they're very regularly wrong.
0: Unfortunately, their stuff weighs. I've seen a lot of guys say, Oh, my cows are 1200 pounds. Yeah. (laughs) They might have been 12 pounds when they were three years old but they haven't right. been to scale in five years I bet she weighs a lot closer to 1800
1: yeah so I always feel bad like if I go to I because I did this in the beginning if I go to one farm in the morning and then I get there and it's unexpectedly larger and taking me longer um then I'm just consistently you know texting or calling my next appointment saying I'm sorry we're running late you know I don't have a time frame for those people and that I don't want to be that person in business. Um, Like I said, I have almost 16 years in restaurants, 12 years in bartending. Customer service is pretty, pretty important to me. I don't like when people tell me, you know, we don't know when we'll be by Uh, that would irritate me, especially when I've got to prepare a live animal for you and have things ready. So if I keep it to one farm per day, I've only got one person to get to. And once I get there, if it takes longer, it takes longer. That's fine. But at least it's not holding up my next appointment.
0: I would just look at it like I'm trying to manage the disappointment, disappointment that I'm going to create by only letting one person by only putting one person on schedule.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's where it sucks for me being, you know, when I get cancellations, because then I'm like, that was a whole day. You know, I lose a whole day. So I will say cancellations hurt me a lot more than probably other shops get hurt with it.
0: Yeah. I could definitely see that. And, you know, it, it's kind of a common theme, especially with, you know, smaller operations that are, or, or startups that, mm. you know, if you get a string of cancellations, I mean, that could really, that could really be painful in the first couple of months if especially yeah. if come at once. Um, and, you know, from the sitting on the producer side, You know, we make that commitment to get the animal to the processor or to book services like yours at least a couple months ahead of time. You know, okay, if it's emergencies or another thing. But, you know, if I've got to bring in 50 out of the pasture to cut five out to take to the processor, I'm going to do that two days before. Right. Right. And then the day before, I'm going to make sure I've got them sorted, make sure they're calm, make sure they're captured, make sure they've got feed and water and they're settled in where I'm going to be loading them from. Just so it's just that much, just take the days to work them closer and closer and closer to reduce by probability of screw ups. Because I understand like, you know, if you're only going to do two cows in a day and I call you and I cancel because I didn't have my crap together. Well, the next time I call you, are you going to be willing to answer the phone? (laughs) I mean, you know,
1: I I, definitely had this happen where people call me. They're like, we can't catch them or, you know, they're bred. And I'm like, you could have found that out. You know, we could have handled this sooner. But for me, uh, stuff happens. I'll always give somebody a second chance, Um, a third chance, probably not probably not second chances. Yes. I've actually gone back and forth on whether I'm going to take deposits on my appointments because of the cancellations, you know, during COVID, it got real messy where people were making multiple appointments for the same animals. I mean, they were selling butcher dates, like on Craigslist. It got so ugly up here. And if I ever caught someone doing that, I'm just, I'll make this public announcement. Now you're not going back on my list, (laughs) but For the most part, I understand crap happens. Like I said, you know, I just had goats born this week that weren't supposed to be produced ever. And um, I understand stuff happens. So always give people a second chance, maybe not always a third chance, but um, most of my customers are good. The cancellations tend to be lately that they just can't afford to feed them. And that's heartbreaking. And I can't you know, I'm not going to send that person a hundred dollar cancellation fee for that. Like we're all feeling the hurt. Like you talked about in the beginning about rain. Like we all know the, the cost of hay right now, the cost of feed right now, the cost of everything right now is insane. And so we're all just trying to make it. And so am I.
0: Okay. Do you want to, can we talk about your cost? Like how much you charge? I mean, cause, yep. it, and I get that it's going to be, well, maybe it's not, but in my mind, it probably is going to be a little bit more than taking it to a brick and mortar place because of the convenience that you're right there.
1: Gosh, I wish I could get my prices up like that. No, I'm actually pretty average. Um, unless you have like a full grind, I do charge an extra charge on grind. So where I'm at right now for 23 is um, 85 cents a pound hanging weight. So for the people listening, hang weight is not the same as live weight. Um, just to clarify for pigs, that's about a 30% difference for your cattle. 50% is a good guesstimate. Um, so you're 85 cents a hang weight, uh, 50 cents a pound on grind. And, you know, I thought about just raising my full, you know, by the pound rates, but it's the emergencies. That's that's why we have that second grind fee, because those emergencies tend to be a full grind, which actually takes me a lot longer to do. Um, you would think opposite, but I'm working with a one and three quarter horsepower, um, engine on my grinder. So I have a 50 cents a pound grind fee. And then for sausage, 75 cents a pound Trezo's $1.50 dollar 50 a pound, um, $2 a mile from my location in Hera. And then, and I'm happy to give people quotes on that, um, when they call. And then of course for disposal, if I dispose of it, I'm going to charge you a hundred bucks for cattle, 60 bucks for smaller ruminants, $100 kill on cattle, $50 kill on small ruminants. So it's pretty, it's actually pretty fair. My pork game is, is really cheap in comparison to everybody else. And I don't charge minimums. So for the smaller, um, smaller breed communities, the Dexters, the Highlands, um, many Herefords, Cooney pigs, IPP pigs, all that stuff. I don't charge minimums. Um, they're saving a lot of money already just by having me butcher.
0: Sound like it. Yeah. It definitely the, sounds like it.
1: <laughs> the pork side, people are always really happy with the, the prices on pork. But um, I'm also like, again, like we talked about before, I'm not doing all those added value products. So a lot of your money at a butcher shop, when you butcher a pig comes into that added value products.
0: Right, they're not making a whole lot selling you giving you back your pork chops. They're making their money giving you the sausage and giving you the bacon right. that everybody right. likes.
1: Yes. Exactly.
0: So All right, just a just a couple more questions here. So if you were going to build another one, <laughs> how much how much would you change?
1: Um, oh man.
0: Or or Not- I guess you can also approach it this way. if somebody walked into your driveway right now with a checkbook and said, I want to buy that, and you can go build another one, but I want to buy that one today. what would what would that look like?
1: What would I sell it for? Yeah, oh, I don't know. I wouldn't let anybody have it for less than three hundred and fifty thousand probably at this point, <laughs> okay and that's a big number that's overshooting it because it took me a year and 7 months to build.
0: <laughs> I mean well it, uh, and that's fair. I mean it's it's yeah way more than just the value of the trailer and the machinery that that's in yeah. it.
1: Yeah, the if I were to build another one, there's not a lot I would change. You know, there would be some things I would probably ask for differently from the trailer company like the the floors are ribbed. You know, they got the aluminum ribs. I hate that. It's a pain in the butt for cleaning purposes, but it also you know, and I'd rather put mats down or something like that. I would probably ask for, um, some better, just some better quality caulking around the whole mission, you know, the whole trailer. I got the trailer from Sundowner. I probably wouldn't buy from them again. Um, I just said that publicly. So Sundowner, sorry, uh, you've, you've screwed, you've kind of screwed up on this, but.
0: Was it an um, official trailer or was it a custom build?
1: So, During COVID, if you remember, there was a truck shortage and a trailer shortage. So (laughs) I was just lucky to get a trailer. The fact, you know, I wanted aluminum, I wanted a gooseneck and I wanted it enclosed. And I got those three things. Um, I wanted a spot to put the generator um, and I wanted more like electrical outlets in it, things like that. Just little nitpicky things that I didn't get um, because of the situation. You know, I was forced to get one that was already in production um, and most of those options were out at that point, but I would probably go, what I really like to change is a truck, get a shorter truck, but I also have a B business. And so I need a long bed for trail for multiple purposes, but mainly for ladders and for my B stuff. Um, so a shorter truck to shorten it up about four foot would be nice for getting in and out of places just because turning radius sucks. Um, but so make um, a mega
0: cab. I, <laughs> it's huge, yeah. Like
1: I said, it's 52 foot, so um, it, it sucks sometimes, it really does. But for the most part, I've I, I mean, I've never had a job that I've driven up to and been like, we can't make this work. It's always been, we'll make this work one way or another. Um, there's but like I said, there's not a ton I would like to change besides having about six figures more to put into um, generators, vacuum sealers, um, grinders. Um, and a bandsaw like those four items, if I were to upgrade them would be almost six figures. So I I would love that. That's still hopefully going to happen in the future. Um, and I kind of built it with that in mind. I was like, you know, if I can just put all my money in the bones of it and then worry about some of these little smaller details later. And that's what I did. Um, but yeah, that's, there's not a lot other than that, that I would change. I love the crane system. I'd like it to be more automatic. I would probably just make everything electric and automatic. but I didn't because I assume that, you know, more stuff that can break essentially.
0: Right. You wouldn't want to, you you wouldn't want it like taller, would you? Or do you think seven feet's enough?
1: What I have works really, really well. Um, Having it taller, like if we were to use like a box truck, you know, something like that, you could actually hang halves in. Um, That would be cool, but I'm going to break it down into quarters anyway you know, since I'm cutting it right there. And I think, um, hanging quarters is just as good as hanging halves. If you were to still take it somewhere and age it. So I'm fine with the height. I mean, I'm not that tall, so it actually works well for me because I'm only five, six or so. So much taller. I do carry a ladder with me though. (laughs) Occasionally I have to climb up there, but, um, if it were taller, I think it would be hard for me to manage by myself at least.
0: Okay. That, and, and that's fair. I, from talking to Mike, I think that was one of the problems that uh, that he was having, or one of the issues he was having was space under the rail. Because right. they, want, they were wanting to walk a live animal right up, and then I think knock it right there next to the trailer and then pull it, pull it in and do everything inside.
1: Right. That's essentially what I do. Um, but I just, you know, I skin and gut outside of the trailer. I like to keep the majority of the bacteria outside in Texas. You have to skin and gut inside. I actually know someone that has a trailer like mine and they have to do it that way. They had to build a partition. Um, and I'm glad that our laws are different here in Oklahoma where I'm able to skin and gut outside. And then I just quarter it off that back rail, you know, slide it on down into quarters. And then I can pull quarters onto the table as I go. Um, and that works really well for me. And if I were to, even if I were to take it somewhere and age it as quarters is not a big deal. Perfect. no deal.
0: So since we're talking about doing it again and building another trailer, <laughs> I, I, I know there's gotta be somebody out there that's listening to this and they're like, and they're already sketching out their own design. Right. So uh-huh. yeah. What, what advice would you have for somebody that's, that's wanting to do this that's wanting to do what you're doing
1: well i you know i actually just started getting a little following on tiktok and this is the biggest question everybody is asking me like we want to do this how do we do this and and i hesitate to answer sometimes because most of these people have never butchered an animal so my first piece of advice is to go butcher an animal because if you've never done it it's going to be shocking for you um you're probably you first of all you just need to see if you can hack it like i the number of deer hunters that i've hired that haven't made it you know well i know how to butcher a deer i'm sure it's the same as a cow it's not uh and so first of all learn to butcher i would recommend highly recommend spending at least a year shadowing another butcher at a shop um see how it's done that way if you've got a mobile person nearby that you can work with you know go shadow under them of course but um, it's unlikely you'll find one. There's so few of us that are doing the full process on site. I've only found two or three, honestly, I've only seen two rigs and I know of a couple people that just kind of show up with their knives, you know, and work as labor, um, just hired, ha- hired hand at that point. But I would say go work with a butcher for a while. Um, see if your body can handle it. Cause that's the other thing. Tendonitis is huge. Um, in butchers
0: it, it physical work.
1: Carpal tunnel is huge. If you can't lift 60, 70, hundred pounds, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, you know, bending, you're going to be bending over skinning when you're doing cattle. So the physical part of it, um, people don't realize they think that what I do is really, I make it look easy, but I am exhausted. <laughs> um, So first, you know, see if you can handle it, see if you can, you, you realize like what I do, I had to learn how to drive a gooseneck, which I've driven trailers forever, but not a gooseneck trailer. I mean, you gotta be able to drive. You gotta be able to park a trailer, back a trailer. You're going to get into some really squirrely situations. I mean, I'm, I'm clearing some gates by this much and it sucks, but, um, you know it's just part of it you got to be able to shoot a gun i had one the other day i actually posted it on facebook i definitely don't think i'd get away with it on tiktok um where this bull had actually broken someone's bone in their back super aggressive bull and i immediately was like why didn't you just shoot it right then i can't believe you waited for me to come um but they did and i had to shoot it from the street so we're talking 100 yards easily if not further so if you can't shoot a gun, that's your next issue. It's not the same as, as shooting animals at a shop where they're being pushed through a squeeze chute. Their head is right there. It's very simple. Um, oftentimes I'm in the middle of a pasture. I get all the animals that are untrailerable, injured. <laughs> you know, some of these situations that you're going to have to shoot from a distance um, or you're going to be chasing an animal around and you, you definitely don't want to do that. So, um, gotta be able to shoot, gotta be able to drive a trailer, um, you know, working by yourself or working with someone else in a small space, keep that in mind. You know, we're working with saws, we're working with, uh, and working with knives. It's extremely dangerous and large animals. Um, the other day I had someone take a tractor and run it into the side of the trailer while I was in it. And if I'd have been running the bandsaw, it could have turned out really, really badly. Um, so, just keeping in mind these things, you know, physically what you're capable of. And then from there, I would say, you know, spend a day with me. I totally invite anybody who wants to do this to come spend a day with me. Um, I know a gal in Texas doing it. Go spend a day with her um, and get a broad picture of what a what a day of a mobile butcher looks like because a lot of times it's a 12 hour day very easily.
0: Awesome. I need to take a break for just a few minutes. I'll be right back. Sure. Whew, I got to stop drinking so much coffee before I sit down and do one of these. <laughs> uh, so are any other educational resources? Like, and this is something I've talked to Mike about previously. Um, so it seems like, you know, when, when we had the round of all the, you know, the small meat plants started to fall out of favor in the eighties in the aftermath of the checkoff and in the aftermath, you know, all the big corporate consolidation going on that happened. That was happening in the late seventies, early eighties. And it seemed like all the older fellows that were cutting meat in the small town butcher shops, a lot of them just said, screw it. I quit. and closed the shutters on the thing and there was nobody else to take up that craft, that trade. And for the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 odd years, there just hasn't been any craft. The, the craft of butchery is just not practiced. Like, no. yeah, it's still alive in, in some of the small packing plants. You know, the, you know, the 20, the 40 head, head a day plants. It's still there. But what I'm saying is we de-skilled the meat industry massively. You know, we took it, we took the butchers out of the grocery store that knew how to break down, you know, those halves and quarters. We took those out of the, out of the, out of the grocery store, out from behind the meat case, and we sent all those jobs to the packing plant. And it's not a, it's not necessarily skilled labor at a packing plant. Yeah, they got to know how to handle a knife, but they're only having to know how to make, you know, just a couple of cuts. You've got to know everything from soup to nuts on four or five different kinds of animals. And how to break it down and how to, and how to maximize that. So, you know, it, you brought up some great points, like, you know, follow another butcher around. And and then you said, but there's only like three of me. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, I, I have heard of another one out in Colorado that's doing something very, very similar to what you're doing. I haven't been able to make contact with him yet. I don't think there's anybody in Kansas doing what you're doing. So other than, I mean, I guess really the only way to really way to learn how to cut meat is to go watch somebody do it and have them tell you how they're doing it. But I think maybe there's a problem that those folks just aren't available. And and I think it's definitely a need, um, a need in the industry to have more butchers being trained.
1: agree. Yeah, I I talk about this a lot, actually, because there's some gatekeeping in the industry a little bit. When I first wanted to learn how to do beef, um, because, you know, I'd been doing my own pigs, which really was a result of being disappointed with my local processor when I sent some pigs up. And I said, you know, there's no way I couldn't do better than that. So I just started doing my own pigs. But I hadn't really had a lot of beef experience. I actually had contacted every butcher shop within like a 60 mile radius of me and offered to work for free to learn how to cut beef. Only one person took me up on it. And after just a, like less than maybe a month, she said that I learned too much too quick and I had to go. (laughs) So, you know, you've got a couple of things going on. Um, there's not a lot of butchers that are surviving, honestly, it's just really hard work. And then they don't have anybody, that they can give it to, you know, the kids aren't, their children aren't wanting to pick up the trade. And I think this is a problem in just farming in general and ranching in general, you know, and I've spent some time in commercial beekeeping. So the average farmer being 60, you know, and how many of those farmers have someone that's going to take their place and not very many, because, you know, especially my generation was taught to go to college and to get a job and, and, Farming and ranching was not part of that, um, so what you're seeing is just a lack of a next generation, um, and and then also like you said about craft butchery, even our local butcher shops, you know, they're not selling <clears throat> a lot of those, you know, what I consider craft cuts. Um, what I've done is just learn from as many people as possible. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. Either, you know, pick up books, pick up audiobooks, pick up podcasts pick up um, following different people on YouTube <clears throat> everywhere you can. <clears throat> Sorry, I am just losing my voice. It's um, it's one of those things that I think you, you if you can't do that, um, then it's probably not a good good idea for you to get into it because there's there are some colleges, some classes that are starting to pop up. They're mostly at Votex. I actually helped here locally. Um, they built a semi that's going to be like a mobile processing unit for them to teach in here at one of our local tech schools. Um, And that's going to be an awesome opportunity. I can't tell you what they're teaching those kids. You know, I can't tell you if they're teaching them box cuts or if they're teaching them craft, the craft side of it. Um, But the craft side of it is not that difficult. Once you, you know, learn to, to break down one animal, breaking down bigger animals gets easier. So that's why I always say kind of start on the smaller side, get comfortable with that. And once you do that, you'll be fine once you get into the larger animals. Beef is where you really get into most of that craft stuff. You know, like we're talking about like Delmonicos and oyster steaks. And um, even even locally, like most of my customers have never had a flat iron. Blows my mind. I'm going, this is the second most tender cut on the whole animal.
0: A flat iron <laughs> but, is one of my favorite steaks.
1: It should be. <laughs> it should be. It's a great steak. Um, you know, and there's a lot of these cuts that other shops, they still, they're still having to cut this out. They're just throwing it into the grind bucket or, you know, or they're including it into something easier. You know, it's called box cutting because they're literally just cutting straight lines, you know, so on that shoulder, instead of peeling out that flat iron, they're just cutting that into straight chuck roasts or pot roast, whatever they're calling it in your area. Um, you know, so then that flat iron ends up being like this tiny little sliver that's on each one of your chuck roasts when you could have had this beautiful steak out of it instead. And we could still pull some chuck roasts, promise. They're just probably going to be boneless. Um, but yeah, I, it makes me sad to see that it's it's going away. That's why I really push the classes. Um, I teach as many people as I can. I, there seems to be a lot of interest in online classes. I. I hate the idea of that because I really love teaching hands-on because that's how I learn. Um, But there's always people that want an online class and I've been racking my brain for weeks now trying to come up with a way that we can offer that or offer some version of a class. Um, Maybe it's just not, I mean, I will do my best. I'm going to try to come up with something for people, Um, if nothing else, for them to just be able to be prepared in the case of like an emergency. You know, I tell people at all my classes, cause a lot of people will still go through my class and they'll never butcher their own animal. But, you know, I tell people, it's not a matter of if you need a butcher, you know, when you have an emergency it's, or it's not a matter of if you're going to have an emergency, but you, you know, just win. If you've got cattle, you're going to have something happen um, at some point. And a lot of my customers I've told, you know, when I can't get to them, I'm like, if you can get it bled and gutted, I can get to you you know, tomorrow, or I can get to you at this point. And so, um, I think that's a life skill. I think it's life school. that should be taught at school, but I digress. Um, since they're not teaching it, I'll teach it. Um, the main, you know, the main important parts are, are shooting it properly, getting a good, correct shot, bleeding it and gutting it. And after that, you can screw up whatever you want. So, um, you know, if you raise your own animals, that's the best way practice on your own. If you've got no other resource,
0: okay. Um. So, how can people get a hold of you to book your services?
1: So multiple ways. I'm on all the socials: Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of those ways. Um, my cell. People text me, call me. If you can't get a hold of me on the phone, just text me. I'm regularly in no cell zones, so. 405-887-3066 is my cell. Tiffany at com. is my email. And then backyardbutchery.com is my website. So there's a place to contact me there. All that info is there as well. All that info is on all my social medias. Um, just across the board at backyardbutchery um, is my company. and My name's Tiffany, so I'm fairly easy to get a hold of.
0: Awesome. I won't put your phone number in the show notes if anybody wants to uh wants it they're gonna to have to go back and rewind it a couple of times but uh i me. i'll make sure i have everything else in there um anything i forgot you want to add
1: i don't think so um i don't think so
0: all right well it has been an awesome conversation and i appreciate you taking the time to uh to visit with me today and um for everybody out there in podcast land i guess we'll see you on the next one
1: thanks brian have a good day